so colossal are their bets that some say they've become central to the buying and selling of treasuries itself, the cornerstone of global capital markets. Well, hello there, my friends. Rafi from the Endgame Investor with this week's Silver Report for Arcadia Economics. And as the uptrend in gold and silver continues, this week we're going to go into the statistics, the tick figures, the percentage of foreign holders of U.S. treasuries, where those trends are going what they've been doing since 2012. China's holdings of U.S. Treasuries have been nearly cut in half since then. 10-year yield testing the 50-week moving average for the fourth time since the bond bull market topped in 2020. And obviously the catalyst for this bond rally has been speculation that the Fed will pivot. And yes, it will. And it will pivot very strongly when the panic comes. And that's what we're going to talk about in the last portion of this week's Silver Report. And that is that Chris got a very important question from a subscriber or from a fan or whoever it was. We're going to go over the question and where exactly the reverse repo money is going. It's not all going into treasuries. It's going into some other thing. Uh, and we're going to talk about that other thing and how it's funding uh, big, unstable trade in treasury markets that are fueled by something called repos, which are the reverse of reverse repos. You can call it reverse, reverse repos. Lions? There are sea lions on the land? Yep. We call them land sea lions. Anyway, once we see where the reverse repo money is going, we can start to draw some pictures on how the whole thing is going to unravel and it's not going to be pretty. It's going to be sudden. It's going to cause a shock to the entire investment financial community, except for, you know, people like us who expect this to happen. But anyway, as always, this week's Silver Report is sponsored by... I'm sorry, if any of you are wondering why I'm wearing a jacket today, it's because my shirt had a stain on it and I wanted to look a little bit nice, so I put a jacket with an undershirt and it makes me look cool and like a gangster, so that's good. Damn, it feels good to be a gangster. Fortuna Silver Mines, symbol FSM. No new news this week, but I wanted to show you a chart of Fortuna versus silver. If you go all the way back to a maximum chart, uh, back to 2007, you can see FSM, Fortuna Silver Mines, in the black line, and SLV, basically a proxy for the silver price. I know it's not 100% accurate, but it's close enough. Proxy for the silver price. And over a maximum range, you see here that FSM and silver have basically performed evenly, uh, though not intermittently evenly. It depends where we are in the cycle here. And you can see what is FSM's behavior. Well, essentially, it really kicks off like crazy at the beginning of uptrends. So this was the case in, in the end of 2015 with the end of the gold bear market going into 2015. And uh, the increase here was about 300%, whereas silver was like, I don't know, less than 50 so yeah, that was serious there. And here we have another one of those from 2020. From here, it was uh, about zero to about 300%, whereas silver was less than 100%. So the point is, at the beginning of silver rallies, when it's really starting to take off, that's when this stock really goes crazy. And the difference between the end game movement and how these movements have played out since 2007 is that in the end game, the stock will, in my opinion, this is not advice, it's just my thinking on the subject, this stock and other mining stocks that are on par with Fortuna that have good finances, that have good leadership and good prospects, 
uh, they will head higher in the initial move in silver uh, when the market changes. And this could already be happening here. As we see, we're seeing a rally here from uh, from October, as we've seen, uh, and it should be continuing the next few months. Uh, whether this is the end game rally or not, we'll see. But once the end game does hit, in my view, the these stocks will head higher and they will stay in that higher range rather than fall back down this time. Uh, I want to go into the statistics. Ticks means tick means Treasury International Capital. They are the figures that are reported by the federal government as to what countries own how much treasuries and how much of them are official accounts and how much of them aren't. So uh, just the basic points here, as I looked into the tick figures that came out yesterday for no, for October, I believe, uh, which was when interest rates were at like 5% and treasuries were not doing very well. So Japanese holdings of treasury notes and bonds haven't increased since 2012, 2012 when interest rates were basically zero or very, very low. Same with foreign official holdings in total. Uh, foreign official holdings means central bank holdings of treasuries. Those have not moved since 2012. Foreign central banks are not supporting the uh, federal debt scheme so much anymore. And finally, Chinese holdings since 2012 are down 41.6% from their peak in November 2013. Sorry, not 2012, 2013 in that case, because that was the high. I'm just speaking the high number. 41.6% decline. That's a way bigger decline than the prices in treasuries have happened since then. So yes, some of this is attributable to treasuries losing value, but a lot of this is attributable to either uh, maturities not being rolled over and just uh, being redeemed. Uh, or treasuries being sold outright, a combination of that. So the foreigners are not with the states anymore, and the Fed is pretty much left on its own to take care of the next financial crisis without any help from international financial centers. Here's a chart from Wolf Street. You can find this on wolfstreet.com. On Wolf Richter's latest article, he usually has some pretty good charts uh, sourced from the US Depart Treasury Department. So this is the percentage of uh, foreign holders of U.S. treasuries of the entire debt load. So back in 2014, 2015, it was at a high of 34%, and it has fallen pretty consistently since then and is now down to about 22.5%, 20, uh, it looks like. And this should continue to fall as the treasury market becomes unglued, which is what we're going to talk about shortly here. But I wanted to show this chart. Uh, we've seen that treasuries have been in a rally, yes, since October on uh, rumors that the Fed is going to pivot and start to buy treasuries during the next financial crisis. And of course they will, and the market might be starting to sniff that out now, but we'll see if this line can fall below the 50-week moving average, the blue line here. It has not yet since the bond bull market from 1981 until 2020 ended right here. Uh, we've hit this line four times. One, two, you could count this as three times, whatever. We've crawled along the line one, two, three, four times. This is the fourth time. And we did break below it very briefly over here, but precisely April 2023, very briefly. So we could be in that situation again, where we're going to briefly break below this line. And so now we're going to get into the interesting stuff. So Chris got a question that he forwarded to me and he wanted me to deal with it on the Silver Report. And so I will, because, you know, I like this stuff. This is a good question. Uh, I actually dealt with it on my YouTube channel, but we're going to go into it a little bit more in depth here in a little bit of a different way. Uh, so here's the question. I would like to understand, says a reader or a watcher of Chris and Yara, facility, I would under like to understand the facility better. We're talking about the reverse repo facility. In particular, where does the money go when it leaves the facility 
And if it goes to buy treasury issuance, why is that? Do the banks have to buy treasuries when they withdraw money from the facility? Where else might the money go? And why is the facility shrinking so quickly? And why is the shrinkage so dangerous to the system? Okay, so let's take this one at a time. The first question was, where does the money go when it leaves the facility? And if it goes to buy treasury issuance, why is that? So I saw this article the other day that I found two days ago on the New York Fed's website. I'm going to go a little bit deeper to them what I said on my own YouTube channel at Rafi Farber. Uh, subscribe there. So here it is. This is from the New York Fed, Liberty Street Economics. The title, Dropping Like a Stone on Reverse Repo Take-Up in the Second Half of 2023. They note that it's falling and they are wondering why. So they write this fun little paragraph over here. This is the, really the point of the entire piece. They could have just, you know, uh, shortened it to this paragraph, but, you know, they've got to be employed, so they got to write stuff or get ChatGPT to do it or whatever. What's the difference? Central bank, artificial intelligence, they're both stupid. Consistent with a decrease in banks' balance sheet costs and an increase in the supply of bank debt, the interest rates at which banks and broker-dealers via borrow via overnight treasury-backed repos have increased since the fourth quarter of 2022 and are now a few basis points above the overnight reverse repo rate. This positive rate differential pushes money market funds away from the investing at the overnight reverse repo facility and into private repos. So basically, this is what it's saying. Translation of that is this. So we have here this chart, uh, the SOFR minus the reverse repo spread. The SOFR is the repo rate. It's the rate at which one bank or one financial institution, not exactly a bank, and you'll see why not, uh, or uh, one financial institution borrows from another financial institution overnight cash in return for treasury collateral. So whoever is borrowing all this money is short on cash for the night for whatever reason. We'll get into that reason in a second, and it'll be very interesting. You'll see why. what is going on here. Uh, if the spread between the SOFR and the reverse repo rate is positive, that means there's more to earn on uh, the SOFR than reverse repos. So anyone who has extra cash to put in a reverse repo would put it in the SOFR market. I think the SOFR is 5.31 or 5.32. That's still one or two basis points higher than the administrative rate. Administrative rate means the Fed just declares what the rate is and that's it. It's not market-based at all. So the administrative rate on reverse repos is 5.3%. But if the if the market rate on SOFR on the repo market is 5.32, then whoever has extra cash, instead of putting it in a reverse repo, they will put it on the uh, the repo market on the SOFR and earn those extra basis points. That's one direction. The other direction is that this money can go into treasuries, which earn uh, the, the one-month treasury, I think, earns 5.4%, something around there now, and that's 10 basis points higher than the 5.3% administrative rate on reverse repo. So basically, whoever has extra cash at the end of the day can either, can do one of three things with it, can either put it in the reverse repo if it's extra and they can they can earn 5.3%, that's one. The other thing is they can loan it to a bank or a financial institution that's looking for overnight cash and they can lend that out at 5.31 or 5.32. And three, they can give it to the treasury, which is paying 5.4 on one month treasuries. There's three places to go. Uh, now, usually they'll always, they'll want higher yield. So their first choice will be treasuries. Their second choice will be overnight private repos in the SOFR market at 5.31, 5.32, or whatever it is for the day. And the third choice, the last choice will be reverse repo where they only earn 5.3. 
So what happens? So why doesn't all of it just go into the overnight uh, repo market or the treasuries? Because there's not enough supply of treasuries yet, or there's not enough repo demand. Uh, but I'll show, we'll go into the repo demand in a second. That's going to shock you. Do the banks have to buy treasuries? No, they don't. But they'd rather buy treasuries because they have the highest basis points for short-term debt, uh, 5.4 rather than 5.3 or 5.32. Well, uh, the next question is, where else might the money go and why is the facility shrinking so quickly and why is the shrinkage so dangerous to the system? So this article just came out today from Bloomberg by... Nishant Kumar, Donald Griffin, and William Shaw. So we have here an article about something called the basis trade. It's talking about hedge funds. These hedge funds, they and their teams, hedge funds, whatever their names are, are top players in the basis trade, set uh, a bet by a few of the world's biggest hedge funds that profits from the tiny price gaps between treasuries and derivatives, known as futures, people active in the market say. So there's a tiny uh, price difference between treasury futures and treasuries. So the treasury futures are slightly higher, so they'll sell the treasury futures and buy the treasuries at spot and pocket the difference. So here it says, as part of a core group of 10 or so firms, they rely on vast sums of money borrowed from Wall Street banks. Remember that? Vast sums of money borrowed from Wall Street banks, often 50 times what they invest themselves to pump tens of billions of dollars into the trade and supercharge returns. So colossal are their bets that some say they've become central to the buying and selling of treasuries itself, the cornerstone of global capital markets. Here's how it works. It says here, unlike other vaunted hedge fund traders who make splashy bets on the direction of currencies or interest rates or wage high-profile campaigns against companies, Hoffman, Bonello, and others quietly target differences in price between treasuries and treasury futures, closely linked derivatives that give investors the right to buy or sell the debt in the future. This is the key paragraph. For a mix of reasons, the futures price is often higher than the bonds, so the trader sells the former, buys the latter, and pockets the difference. Because the gap is usually mere fractions of a penny, this is only worth doing at scale. I'm just talking about fractions of a penny here, okay? But we do it from a much bigger tray, and we do it a couple of million times. Ramping up returns through the use of leverage. That largely limits the activity to a few trusted individuals at hedge funds with enough clout to borrow big from banks in overnight money markets. So what is happening here? Well, you have big hedge funds that are borrowing huge amounts of money in the overnight markets, which is the repo market, to fund their basis trade for the day to sell futures on treasuries and buy the spot and pocket the difference over and over and over again, just like the scene out of office space. And eventually this thing is going to implode when for whatever reason in the next financial crisis, the spot price of treasuries becomes more expensive than the futures price and everything unwinds all at the same time. Michael, you said the thing was gonna take two years. What happened? You said the thing was supposed to work. Technically it did work. No, it didn't. It did not work, Michael. Okay. Hey, okay, okay, okay. okay. So that's why the SOFR market is getting so bloated now, and that is where the money from the reverse repo facility is going, and once that money runs out, there's going to be no more money to fund these trades, and things are going to reverse. Exactly how it plays out, I do not know, but nothing about any of this is stable, and do I understand any part of it perfectly? Hell no! This is all nuts. I know it's all nuts, because none of this makes sense, and when you have a fiat currency system that is as bloated as ours, everything turns crazy, and... And you have people like me running around chasing their tails trying to figure out how to explain it to people when they themselves don't understand what the hell's going on. Anyway, you want to see how big this market is? They'll take one more paragraph. What's the basis trade? Why does it worry regulators? Quick take. Here is the paragraph. 
as the availability of this short-term lending has surged this year because people are taking money out of the reverse repo facility to fund it, the basis trade has boomed. The net short position on treasury futures of reasonable proxy for the wager's popularity has spiked to $800 billion from $650 billion in July, the Bank of England said on December 6th. So that's what's going on. And what happens when the RRPs run out? I don't know exactly. I'm not a genius in this stuff. I'm just trying to figure out logically what the hell's going on. But something bad is going to happen, something very good for the death of the fiat monetary system. But it's going to be big news and it's going to happen overnight. And everyone's going to be surprised except for us and even us because we're not going to know exactly what's going to happen. It's going to be fun either way. This is Rafi of the Endgame Investor with this week's Silver Report for Arcadia Economics. Don't forget to subscribe to the Endgame Investor at Substack endgameinvestor.substack.com, which is where I am moving starting in January. You can be, you can read the Endgame Investor three times a week. You can sign up for free now. And when I start putting market updates there in my newsletter, which is now on Seeking Alpha and moving to Substack, you can become a paid subscriber and you'll figure out when to do that when I start publishing more often. But for now, have a good week. Hold on to your stacks. Wait for the RRPs to drain because that's where they're going. And hopefully this will all be over in 2024 and we can get on with our lives.